What's up, Hoop Ball Nation? It's Brandon Marcus from the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. We're chatting about an exciting time in Clipperland with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George looking to lead the team to an NBA title. Tune in to hear guests ranging from TV voice Brian Seaman and radio voice Noah Eagle to various beat writers and team bloggers. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Hoop Ball Clips and follow me at BD Marcus. Looking forward to having you tune in. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Regardless of how today's podcast goes, I am thrilled that I was able to hold off on yesterday's show from talking about the things that I wanted to talk about on today's show. that That's my big win right now. I managed to get through yesterday's podcast without really talking about the two games coming up tonight because if I knew, I knew if I did that yesterday, we'd have literally nothing at all to talk about on today's show. And then in the middle of the night, because, you know, babies are always, been, toddlers and babies are all waking us up these days, I started to think about what on earth we're going to talk about now between the end of the finals, and free agency. That's normally a time that we are working on team-by-team breakdowns, but we've already done that. And we you know, we had the resumption bubble. We managed to carve a few weeks out for that. Now we're talking betting, but that's going to be off the table. I might have to learn about some of these rookies. But that's listen, that's that's not the Dan Vespers way. We don't pay attention to rookies here. We are not sidetracked by shiny objects. We will look with a concerned demeanor, a furrowed countenance at old people playing basketball and why they're just so so easy to find value there. Welcome to Fantasy NBA today everybody. Hold the fantasy. I'm Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter, or just Google search Dan from Hoopball. You can find me pretty quickly there. I try to post everything that I'm doing on my Twitter account, but some of the stuff does slip through. And for our other fantasy information at Hoopball, you can follow at Hoopball Fantasy. And they've got the usual good stuff out this morning over at Hoopball. Uh, Stephen Williams has your DFS delivery. That's a premium article free during the playoffs he is at zero Stark thirty. Uh, Stephen and Santino have your DFS today episode that released last night. First thing this morning, the great Brad Harden, host of the Hoopball Hawks podcast, dropped a new episode that uh, discusses Clint Capella's role as he gets healthy. A Giannis campaign the Hawks can try to wage, and of course. Other players that Atlanta might look at with their sixth pick. Great, great, great new podcast here at Hoopball. One of many on a website that somehow, I don't know how we're doing it, but we're just growing through this ridiculous COVID year. Congratulations to everybody that's put out this amazing stuff, and you guys should check it out. Please do drop a five-star review on all of these podcasts at Hoopball. It helps us immeasurably. If you haven't done one for mine, please do that. If you've already done one for mine, go do one for one of these other shows. I would thank you for that as well. I will thank you for that as well. For today's show, most of the content is going to be about the games coming up later on tonight. At uh, 3.30 Pacific Time, Boston and Miami. And at 6 o'clock Pacific Time, Clippers and Denver in a Game 7. 
Let's do our traditional breakdown here and see if we can arrive at anything. Now, game one is a hard one because it's a brand new series, and that's where you're feeling things out a little bit. One thing you'll notice, though, is that Miami-Boston has the exact same opening total as Clippers-Denver of 208.5. One of those is a game one, and one of those, by the way, a game one expected to be sort of a feeler game where teams, yeah, you know, they've been game planning, and you know Miami's been game planning longer than Boston has, but... A lot of what you see in Game 1 are teams just trying to, trying to get a feel for what the other team's going to do. They, they go by what they did during the regular season. They build sort of a script out for that, and then you, you see how that works. Game 1s and 2s in these playoffs so far have tended to be the highest generally scoring games of series. Not the case in all of them, but it's been pretty close to linear in numbers coming down. So the fact that this is a total in the 2-0 anything is notable because we've had almost none. Almost no totals under 210 early in series in the bubble at all. That last game, and, you know, you're going back to uh, whatever the heck it was. Was that Friday? We got all the way back to Friday? Was that the last time? Yeah, 204 was the total. Boston-Toronto game 7 on Friday was 204, and that was the lowest total of any game in the bubble. Seeding or playoff games. Nothing else has even really been all that close. There was a Toronto-Boston game that opened up at about 2.09. That was the closest we got. So these games tonight, I believe, are the second and third lowest totals we've seen of any games in the bubble. Now, they could move prior to tip, and they probably will. My guess would be that they both end up ticking upwards ever so slightly. That's just the way totals work, especially when they come out this low. You've got to think people are going to be like, oh, 2.08, that's easy. They'll clear that with their eyes closed. Now... We have no data, really, to work off of with Miami-Boston. One of the ways that we've had a ton of success wagering in these postseason games so far, these series, is because the games are at a neutral site, and they are every other day. So there's no change in peripheral elements in these series. Qualitatively, every game is the same as the game before, minus adjustments. The only change in a regular se- in a regular year, in a year where we're not all, <laughs> you know what I mean, in a year that's not 2020, any other damn year besides this one, there are other things to consider in a playoff series, namely travel, home court. These are big factors. Two days off, one day off. What's the schedule of a series? There might be two days off between games where teams can load up and guys can actually work their way back from injury at a normal clip. The fact that this is all uniform actually makes our lives really, really easy. Not so much for the side because, you know, the power rankings are power rankings and the sides really haven't moved all that much in almost any of these series. They've, they've held pretty steady because they find a number that splits the tickets and they can roll with that. The total, they, they've never, they're not splitting tickets. They're not. They just, I mean, they are. I, okay, so let me dial that back a little bit. They are. That's the goal. But they're not even the tiniest bit concerned with getting that number at the actual final total. At least not in the middle of these series. That's where we've been able to capitalize in a huge way. Because mid-series... You're, you're two games in. You, you know, it's game three of whatever series you're working on. It's game three. 
These teams have now seen each other twice. They're not going to any other different court, so it's not like role players are about to have their big breakout game in front of the home crowd that fires them up, and the home crowd gets all this extra energy and plays totally different for three and a half quarters. No, it's the same thing. It's slightly different public address announcer and different faces on the on the digital video boards around the the arena. But from a game from an actual gameplay standpoint, the only thing that's changing is that these teams have one day in between games to figure out a better way to deal with the other team. And most of what these teams work on, specifically once you get towards game 3, is fighting what the other team does best on offense, trying to take away what another team's first and or second options are on the offensive side. The series that I've watched the closest, any of the, the are, are things involving the Lakers, but I've watched almost every game in these playoffs that happens Monday through Friday. I miss a few on the weekends, I'll admit that. There's just a lot of family things going on. But I watch almost every single game Monday through Friday, and I've watched a lot of these series pretty damn closely. The two Lakers series are the ones I'm going to fall back on. And then uh, series with the Bucks and the Heat was a uh, Heat and Indiana. I watched a lot of those games really closely as well for whatever reason. Uh, I think that maybe just because the early games are ones that I'm almost always going to catch because it's mid-work day for me over here, so I can just throw it on and watch it while I'm doing stuff. The point of this is... Actually, the Lakers series are a really good example. In Game 1 of each of the Lakers' two series in this postseason so far, they've just sort of played and thought, all right, we're just going to play, and let's see if we can win this game straight up. And we'll look at video afterwards, and we'll see what this other team's doing. We'll make our adjustments. They ended up losing each of those two games. So strategically, it hasn't actually worked out all that well. From that moment on, however, strategically, things have worked really well for the Lakers because they went to film, and they saw, okay, this is what Portland wants to do predominantly here this is what the Rockets want to do predominantly let's figure out how we can deal with this so they went to the board here's what we're going to do here's what we're going to do defensively Lakers had to make some adjustments offensively as that series went on once they figured out how the Rockets were going to play them on defense but uh in in most of these series what you've seen is a team figures something out and then the series starts to grind a little bit Teams don't want to allow fast break points. Easy buckets are a recipe for disaster. So you'll see teams drop back a little bit faster. You'll see teams take fewer chances on offense in the open court. They won't get those shots up real quick. They're not, they don't want to hoist. It doesn't happen that same way. Most possessions take longer. And as a series goes on, when you compound those decisions that teams are making with the fact that in the half court, most of these other opponents, they have a pretty good idea what's coming. And these teams are getting tired. They're playing the same damn team over and over again. It gets exhausting. You're trying to attack these little openings you can find. Every game just gets slower. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Throughout this postseason, the totals are chasing the real number. Series keep going under. Totals keep getting lower. Throughout a series, just... Down it goes. Down, 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 down the rabbit hole, or whatever you want to call it. We can go back weeks and just watch how it happened. These these games that were expected to be extraordinarily high scoring, they just they just keep going under. Toronto-Boston. We go all the way back to September 3rd. Total was 217. It went to 207. 
Two days later, total came down to 215. That game ended at 193. Came, total came down to 212. That game ended at 200. Then they went to double overtime, but that game actually ended at 192 before it went to double overtime. And then the last one, of course, first team to 91. First team to 90 was victorious, I should say. That game didn't even get to 180 points. Throughout the series, the pace slows down. So, I mean, you know, what do we do with game one? Boston is favored by a point and a half, total of 208 and a half. I'm inclined to bet game one of that series live, in-game stuff. We don't really know what schematically these two teams are going to do, unless you have someone on the inside, which I don't, that can ask someone in the Miami coaching staff and relay it to their betting buddies. What defense are you going to employ? How are you going to deal with Boston? What, they, what do you expect them to do for you? What is your attack mode? Miami, I'm guessing, will handle this series a little differently than they did the last one. Boston has uh, more offensive options than Milwaukee did, but their lead horse or horses can space the floor better than Giannis can. So it'll be a little bit of a different look, I would assume, for Miami. You'll probably see a lot of switching, if I had to guess, since most of the players on Boston are wings anyway. And for Miami, their big man can switch out on wings, which is a nice advantage. So if Boston's running a pick and roll with Daniel Tice, they don't care. They could switch it. They could fight through it if they want. They could switch it. Either way, it's not a huge deal. How does Boston defend Miami? Well, uh, for the Heat, that's a lot of floor spacing. That's been their, their big key here is having a couple guys that can create and then a lot of guys that can shoot. And then Bam in the middle who can pass well as a big man. I actually like Miami's look. I know Boston's favored by a point and a half. Just from what we've seen these two teams do so far, Miami, it feels like, has pretty good tools for defending Boston. So I would lean ever so slightly to the heat in this first ball game. We'll see how it, it shakes out. I probably won't bet before tip. But my guess is that Boston's going to get public money because they're the Celtics and they are the higher profile team. But I really don't know. And same deal with the total. I, I really don't know. Are these teams going to get out and try to get some easy buckets? Is that going to happen here in this game? Miami uh, and Boston, neither one of those teams did any real glass crashing in those last series, largely because they couldn't afford to give up fast break points. Half-court defense, both those teams were stellar. Toronto and Milwaukee, they got most of their, I shouldn't say most of their points because that's just an inaccurate statement, but they would have preferred to get far more in transition than they did. Now, in this one, I don't think it's quite as critical. So maybe you see more glass crashing. Maybe you see more offensive rebounds and putbacks. Maybe you see more possessions as a result. I don't have a feel for the total in this game. I don't really know what it's going to be. I think I would lean ever so slightly to the over, but Boston could also be exhausted. I don't know. They might they might put up 85 and just go to sleep and then try to come back and win game two. Miami's been resting for a long time. Does that mean they've been prepping or they're they're kind of getting rusty? I'd leave this one alone. I'd leave this one alone until the game tipped, and then you can dive in partway if you want. By the way, uh, before we break down game two, I want to make sure you guys know all the lines we're getting, all the numbers we're getting, they are from our buddies over at mybookie.ag, the official online betting partner for us here at hoop-ball.com. They've got every sport you could possibly imagine. You can even wager on NBA 2K matches if you want. You can wager on Madden. Yeah, video football. 
MMA, tennis, golf, soccer, baseball. You can play casino games. They've got those there. They have contests, football, basketball, table tennis, horse racing, NASCAR, F1, international baseball, boxing. If it's out there, you can bet on it at mybookie.ag. Make sure when you sign up, use promo code HOOPBALL on that third page of sign up, and that'll unlock a 100% deposit match bonus if you'd like to use it when you make your first deposit. So please do check out our buddies over at mybookie.ag. You got to make sure you're signed up for the next time they have one of those freebie plays. That's still the craziest damn thing I can remember seeing in betting over the last, like, dozen years. I've been doing... I've been sports betting since I was 21. Uh, But I started handicapping in 2008, 2009. and, And that type of stuff just didn't happen until this last calendar year, basically. So the legalization of sports betting has made them now fight for your dollars. And my bookie's doing that with all these different promos. So, you know, if they're going to fight for you, let them win every once in a while. Get yourself a free bet. <laughs> uh, right now, it's a deposit match bonus, though. Again, a coupon code is hoopball at signupmybookie.ag. You bet, you win, they pay. The other game on the docket tonight, Denver and the Clippers, game seven. Game seven. Clippers favored by seven and a half with a total of 208 and a half. And I know what everybody's thinking. Why is this line so damn high still? The Clippers have been summarily beaten each of the last two ball games after going up big back on Friday. They led by 16, lost by six. On Sunday, they went up by 19 and lost by 13. A 32-point turnaround in the second half of that basketball game. I think they got outscored like basically 60 to 30 in the second half of the game, which is just atrocious. The body language for the Clippers was god awful. I mean, really, really bad. They had thrown in the towel by the time that game had ended. But here's the thing I actually want us to pay attention to. Forget the side for a minute because you know I'm not a huge fan of betting sides here in these these types of ball games, especially a game 7 where you know everybody's just going to be winding up and punching each other in the mouth and whoever can stand longer is the one that's going to win it. By the way, I do think the Clippers are going to advance. I don't know about a seven and a half point win, but they've shown the ability to get up by that. The question is, can they take Denver's punch? And so far they haven't really, but you know, they did win three games in this series, so it's not impossible. Looking back at the way this series has gone so far, uh, Clippers... I believe, what, they won the opener back on the third? A long time ago now. 120 to 97 was the final score of that ball game. But we're going to do a little bit of an exercise today. Total, by the way, on that game was 223. So it went under by, uh, by six points. The expected total on that game. And that's generally what we're working with here because uh, there are variations in how things turn out. You betting on pace effectively. Uh was make sure I get this right. 111 was the expected final total for Denver, so they vastly underperformed due to bad free throw shooting, high turnovers, and bad field goal percent. And for the Clippers on the other side, their expected total was actually lower, but they made so damn many shots. They uh, didn't have as many free throws, but they made most of them, and so that allowed them to overperform. So it was 111.5 on one team, and 104 and a half on the other team. Final expected total was about 216, and it ended at 217. So that was almost right on the mark. Game one's expected final total was about 216. That's why in game 
uh, two, I had an ever so slight lean to the uh, to the under, excuse me, I should say. The total was set at 224.5. And, and so I thought, all right, the last one should have been at 216. In fact, I think we bet this under, if I'm not mistaken. I talked about it on that, that Friday show on the 4th. I said, look, the expected total was 216 in the last one, and these theories have been slowing down, and the total is eight points higher than that right now at 224. And sure enough, that next one ended at 211. So an easy under. Uh, even though, by the way, Denver actually played at a pretty high clip in this second game. About the same as in the previous one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 111 was actually their expected final total again. They ended at 110 because they shot the ball better and didn't turn the ball over as often. The Clippers on the other side, they had a truckload of possessions in this game. Turned the ball over a ton, shot the ball poorly, missed a ton of free throws. This was one where they actually vastly underperformed their expected number. That ended up being actually a pretty fast, high-tempo game that probably should have ended closer to 225 or 230. So we got a little bit lucky in that this was the rare time where a game two was actually significantly faster than a game one. So you move to the next game. The total adjusts down to 220 and a half. And I said, I don't really like this one, actually, because the pace is still really high. We had value when it was way up at 224, but they've adjusted the number down now even though the pace is moving pretty quick, I actually had a slight lean on that Monday to the over, and it ended up being a push. 113 to 107, 220 was the final total in that ballgame. Uh, Clippers played at a pace of about 105 and overperformed. They obviously shot the ball very well. The Nuggets played to a pace of 111, so they were on target for 216 again and actually went slightly over the mark and got uh, that ballgame to a push. Would have gone even higher. Uh, if the Nuggets had gotten any free throws in that game, but they did not. So again, the pace was right around 216. So game two jumped up, game three came back down. Game four, the total actually got adjusted up a little bit, from 220 back to 221 or 222, depending on what sportsbook you were at. And so at that point now, we were looking at a huge value on the under. There was absolutely no reason why that total should have been adjusted up for the game back on September the 9th. I remember giving this play out on VEASAN with our buddy Gil Alexander. I said, I'm really confident that this one is going under because now we're starting to hit that part of the series where the games are slowing on a night-to-night basis. And boy, did they ever. Boy, did they ever. Clippers played to an expected pace of 103, which is way down for them now, and they underperformed that number. And Denver played to an expected pace of just 91. Yeah, really low, right? Real low. Excuse me, 95. And underperformed it. So even without the underperformance, this game was on target for 198 points. Wasn't even going to come close to that total of 221.5. This was one of the easiest ones we've seen. But that pace was also a little bit of an anomaly because the game was slower and the teams underperformed. Meaning... They were on target for only 198 points in this game, and they undershot it. So then you go to the next one. Vegas brings the line down from 221.5 down to 216. They adjusted it down by five points, finally. And it was that point that I was like, look, I think they may have finally caught up with it because every other game to this point has been on pace for about 216. We had that one anomaly. Game two was really fast. Game five, four? 
five. I've lost track of the games. What was the one on the ninth? That was game four. Game four was really slow. But on average, these teams are playing in the two teens. That's sort of the target they've been going at. If you think the series is going to slow by a possession or two, maybe you had a tiny bit of value on the under, but we left this one alone. I said 216, I think, is really damn close to the real number. I had that graded out at about 213, and that's not enough room for me. As it turned out, it ended right on 216, uh, thanks to the fact that Denver in this ballgame overperformed. They shot the free throw ball. Uh, they shot the free throws well. They didn't have many turnovers. They shot their field goals well. You roll that all together, that's an overperformance. Uh, 92 plus 12 and a half is 104 and a half was their expected final number. They had 111 over on the Clippers side. The, their expected final number was about 106 and they underperformed by one. So they were almost right on it. This one should have ended at about 210. So the pace was a little bit slower, but Denver shot the ball. Well, um, Clippers didn't, but they made a ton of free throws or, or they made a lot of their free throws and didn't turn the ball over at all. So they maximized their possessions and that's why this thing didn't go under by more, even though the pace was actually down a little bit. So the pace in that one slowed a little. Down to 210 was our uh, expected number. And then finally, this last game on Sunday, Denver won it, 111-98. to Total was 214. It went under by a little bit. 209 was the final mark. But again, we're more concerned with what the expected number was. Clippers were expected to score about 104-ish or so points in this ballgame. Uh, 104, 105, somewhere in that neck of the woods. They underperformed, not surprisingly. Yes, they shot the free throw well, but they shot the field goal percent number was extraordinarily low. Turnovers were sort of average, maybe a tiny bit better than average. That's why they were just a little bit under their expected number. Over on the Denver side, they actually overperformed because they shot 54% from the field in that ballgame. Uh, their turnovers and free throws were not outstanding, but they were kind of good enough. Denver was actually on target for about 101, and they did really well. So expected number in that game was about 206 or so. About 206. And it went over. It went to 209, but not by much. I mean, you can get a pretty good idea of where how the final number parallels the expected number pretty close. So they should have been at 209, they ended, or it should have been 206, they ended at 209, and now we move to this final game where they have now brought the number down. It's at 208.5, meaning there's just a little bit of room based on the pace from game six. Although, again, you know, Clippers should have done better, Nuggets should have done worse, it sort of canceled each other out. You, you don't worry that much about the individual teams when you're just going off pace. In Game 7s, though, you do have to think a little bit about how the whistles go, fatigue, the sort of grinding element of it. Most Game 7s we've seen to this point have been real slugfests. So I would say the under is your play in Clippers-Denver tonight, if only because that's just the way Game 7s have gone. That said, if you're only going on pace, remember that last game was targeted at about 2.06, if the game doesn't slow down further than 206, and honestly, I don't know how much slower these two teams can really go, given they both want to get out and get an easy shot every once in a while. You know, the Clippers' half-court offense isn't that good. It's, it's basically Paul George or Kawhi going ISO most of the time. For Denver, their half-court offense is actually pretty good, but it takes a long time to get it going. There's a lot of passing involved. It doesn't usually happen all that quick. So 
I, you know, I think Denver's probably more satisfied with their half-court sets, but I think both teams would prefer to get out and get some stuff that's easy. The question is, is that going to happen in a Game 7? And for me, you know, the pace on that last game gets so close to this number that I become a little bit reticent. It probably does slow down a little bit more, and you can probably project some underperformances from teams, whether it's, you know, poor field goal percent or too many turnovers or whatever it is. You know, some of those things go hand in hand. You see the turnovers come down. It's because teams aren't running at all. They're walking it up and getting bad shots against a good half-court defense. So you might have low turnovers, but you'll probably also have low field goal percent to go with it. So probably a little bit of value on the under in that game. Not as much anymore with the line coming down so damn far. But that's likely your play in game two. So here's your leans for today in uh, Fantasy NBA Today's Hold the Fantasy Gambling segment. Uh, I like Miami on the side in game one a little bit. I'm leaving the total alone. Um, I don't like the side in game two. I think the Clippers win the game, but I don't know how much. And then I like the under uh, as a lean on the total. So that's kind of the way you're looking in those two ball games. No news on the NBA front to talk about. I don't think anything at all happened yesterday other than Gordon Hayward being ruled out for game one, although he is in the bubble and practicing. So uh, I don't think he's actually practicing with the team yet, if I'm not mistaken. So my guess is that they'll get him back at some point in this series, but it's not tonight. And so let's watch these games very closely. I think we're going to see some sets. We're going to see some strategies that we can use as we make our wagers moving forward in these two series as well. Should be a lot of fun, though. A game one and a game seven on the same day. It's beautiful. It's like death and birth, all at the, <laughs> happening all at the same time. Big thank you, as always, to our buddies over at manscaped.com. Get the lawnmower 3.0, 20% off, and free shipping with coupon code HOOPBALL20. You guys have been doing a great job on that. Let's keep moving those units. Ooh, I should choose my words more carefully. Let's start shaving those units? Nope. Nope, that's it. That's how we're going to pull the plug on this one. I'm Dan Bespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Uh, Again, thank you to mybookie.ag. Wonderful partner for us here. Coupon code over there, once again, is HoopBall. Start wagering with with us, I should say. We'll have some fun. I promise. Keep it small. We'll uh, we'll slowly churn out five bucks here and there. And uh, believe me, you'll care more about the games, even if you only have five bucks on it. Believe me. Thank you guys for continuing to listen here during this very weird year. Uh, enjoy your whatever the hell day it is. Is it Tuesday? Yeah, it's Tuesday. Enjoy your Tuesday. Back at you tomorrow morning. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.